You know, it's amazing to have people serve week in and week out everywhere in a church on a Sunday. You know, when we were, when we were praying this morning, just the sense that I had is that what we do on a Sunday morning is really we're getting together like, it's like a Sunday lunch where an extended family comes to actually just eat together. And I think that that's what is most important about Sunday. I don't think that actually having it as something we attend is a good picture. The picture is better that we actually are, in some sense, it's a prophetic picture of what will come when we come to the Lamb's Feast. You know, the wedding feast of the Lamb, where we come together, we eat together. This is kind of like that, you know. One of the things that's happened over last Christmas, we had my family, my brother and, uh, and his kids, brother and his wife and his kids come out and we enjoyed Christmas together, a lot of family time together. And I just thought how wonderful it is to actually be able to celebrate family together. You know, that's what it's about. It's, it's really a wonderful opportunity to get together. And that's really what Sunday is about, is it's about a family time. We can say, okay, well, I can worship God on my own and wherever I am. In some sense, there's that truth to it. But you know, Jesus loves it when you come to his table. And I think as we get older, I think that you'll probably find that when you're in the place where your kids leave home and you get, you've got your grandkids, your funnest times are when the whole family comes together to eat a meal together. And that's what it's like here. That's why Jesus loves it this way. Loves it when we come. And actually, why he uses that terminology in the seventh, to the seventh church when he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's not knocking at somebody's heart. He's knocking at the door of the church. That's a terrible statement for those who've left Jesus and the Father outside church. You know, that this is a place where we do stuff, but we don't really commune with the Father and commune with the Son. You know, that's what it's supposed to be. And so I really had that picture on my heart very strongly this morning as we were praying. And that we should have that kind of view of it that actually we're coming together here the father is happy when his children gather together on a on a sunday he's happy he's pleased if there's somebody missing from the table i'm sure he notices you might not notice you might think it's okay but i'm sure he notices because i know as a parent i would i think oh they're not here this sunday now there's sometimes good reason for it but it would be terrible if your son or your daughter or family didn't really want to be there. That's a different thing. And then the motivation for being there is not about guilt, but really about being family, isn't it? And that's what we want. That's what we want to... I believe it's the most important picture of what we actually represent to the world in terms of our spirituality. That's why Jesus said, pray, our Father... Actually, it's, it's Abba Father, which is a very, it's like saying Dad. That's what it's like. It's not like saying Father, we, you know, Father. It's like saying Dad. Dad, you are holy. You are absolutely holy. But I have this type of relationship with you that's a son. I'm not coming to you as like a slithering servant. I'm coming as a son who's accepted and loved family. That's what it's about. So I really want to encourage that with us this morning. So this morning is going to be a little longer than normal because I had either an opportunity or choice to split this into two or to actually do it as one. It, I feel it'll work better as one. So I'm going to go through it. Um, you know, I, I think that most of you understand my accent. So I, if I go quickly, I'm sure you'll pick it up. If you don't, you can always speak to me afterwards. Uh, hopefully get the sermon at some stage online. Remember how last week I explained the book of Revelation should be broken down into segments, but not necessarily according to chapter and verse. I shared that with you last week. And the segments themselves may be sequential, but at times the different segments will run parallel to one another. And that's what I showed last week. So instead of reading the book of Revelation like you would a book of sequential events, we should read them as a revelation of segments that, that John is getting a revelation of different things at different times. And it may be that, that, that a segment comes exactly after another segment, 
does not necessarily mean that it's sequential. It's a segment. And it's good to actually work with the revelation that way because it will help us to understand it better. So that's why it's important to do it like that. I think it probably the people that have taken Revelation have often taken the book of Revelation and, and have geared it specifically to the end times, which I believe there's an aspect of truth to it. But because of that, they've confined a certain interpretation of it that really when people read the book, then they don't understand it because they're trying to fit it into a sequence of events rather into, a, into segments of Revelation. So that's how we must take it in segments of Revelation. All right, so like in, in chapter 1, we have the introduction, and the introduction of Jesus, the introduction of the Father, the introduction of Revelation, basically, to John. And then second part is chapter 2 and 3, which is the seven churches. That's another segment. Uh, the, uh, chapter 3 is the throne of the Father, another segment. The chapter 4 is about the Son and the throne of the Son. That's another segment. Then we have the seven seals, all right? And then there's, within that, that's a segment, but within that segment we did the two olive trees, which is a segment in between those two, the, the sixth and seventh seal. So it's another segment. So, and, the, and that, that helps us to concentrate on the segment rather than its place in the sequence of history, which is very important. It's vital to this because it's, you know, we... we it's like having a number of thoughts at the same time. You know, you might, I know I have been guilty on, of this at times when I don't stick to the subject. You know, we'd be speaking about a subject and something else pops into my mind. And then I sort of, and people say, well, that's a rabbit trail. I don't think it's a rabbit trail because I always think, you know, it's important to have the segments of information that go around. But that's how revelation is. It's segments of, of, of revelation that we're having. And so when we try to confine it into a timeline, sometimes that's the thing that makes us misunderstand Revelation. So please read it that way. All right. <coughs> okay. So two olive trees, a segment in between six and seven seal, but not necessarily sequentially in between six and seven seal. That's my reading of it. And then the segment on the golden censer, that's another segment. All right. And today we're going on to, all right, we introduced it. We come now to the seven trumpets. And I want to say that this is the part of Revelation that we get into, which is both exciting and terrifying at the same time. Both of those things will actually uh, confront you. And for many people, the fact that it is terrifying, uh, it terrifies them to read it. So then they don't read it because it is terrifying. But it is exciting too, and we'll see today why. Okay, so we'll do the six trumpets as there are many segments and much detail between the six and seven trumpet. So we'll do the six trumpets. Now there does seem to be, so just in your reading of Revelation, there seems to be quite a strong uh, sort of agreement among commentators that the, se the, sixth, the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh bowl of God's wrath are in the time frame of Revelation, are the, they happen together directly before the return of the Lord and the ending of this portion of history that we're in at this point in time. So that shows you that the things are not sequential in terms of, okay, you've got the, this, the seven trumpets, and you've got the seven, the seven seals, then you've got the seven trumpets, and then you've got the seven uh, bowls of God's wrath. It's definitely there's some parallel between them. And so we interpret them in segments, rather. All right. So what is most important is not so much the sequence of when these things occur, but what we are to expect and recognize directly before the day of the Lord. That's what's most important. Because that's what, the, what Revelation is actually about. Right at the beginning, when I introduced the book of Revelation, I said it, it introduces this, and it introduces and says that if you read this, it will bless you. But it also introduces you with this, thing, this, uh, this word that says, are written down so that the believer may know what is soon going to be taking place. Okay, so there is this aspect <coughs> excuse me, of prediction. And for us to be able to recognize these certain things that are going to be happening, 
And today we really start to get into that and to find ourselves where, we're actually, where, where we actually are. All right. <coughs> That's their purpose. So the first four trumpets that we're going to do seem to, and this is my reading of it, seem to me to be the result of man's sin and the consequence thereof more than a direct judgment of God. So usually what happens in Scripture, and it's important to note, there is the consequence that comes because of our sin, not because God has now said, okay, I'm going to judge you on your sin, just by the fact that he said, <coughs> excuse me, the soul that sins will die. So there's something that's been put in place that if I do certain things, there are going to be certain consequences. They are not necessarily the direct judgment of God on them at that point in time, but they are the consequence of sin. If you give yourself to sin, then guess what happens? You're going to reap a consequence of them. But then there are some things in, that happen when, uh, particularly when a nation or a group of people continues in a, in a sin, that then the direct judgment of God comes. So there's always those two things in play. And so my reading of the first four trumpets is like this. The first one is a consequence more, more than a direct judgment. The fifth and sixth trumpets rep represent direct judgment from God. And I think personally begin during the time of the sixth seal. And so when I say the time of the sixth seal, we're not speaking about a day, a, an hour that the sixth seal happens. We're speaking about a time. There is a time. So you can be in the sixth seal, if you could call it, and it could be a time frame that actually it's in there. This is my reading of it. All right. Okay. So, which in my mind is the time of the end, a portion of time. While the first four trumpets are to do with what is happening here on earth, and that's what we're going to see about the judgment on the earth, the fifth and sixth trumpets are directly related to judgment on people. Okay. So, there you go. That's a synopsis of what I'm going to be speaking about now. First four, first four trumpets are sort of more indirect as a result of man's sin. The next two are direct on mankind because of their sin. Alright? So, again, as we said, this is going to be both terrifying. And when you read it, when you start, first start reading it, you kind of like, Oh no, this is not what I want. Because in our happy culture that, uh, that wants to preach prosperity and good stuff all the time, this is quite difficult. It's very difficult to, but actually it can be quite exciting and actually motivate us if we prepare to allow it to motiva motivate us. All right, so we get the first angel blows the first trumpet. So the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burnt up. A third of the trees were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Okay? Pretty hectic, isn't it? When you read that, it should terrify you. But if you're a believer, it should sort of say, okay, God's in control. So hail and fire mixed with blood is not a literal physical thing that comes, but is the spiritual aspect of this verse. And we'll see this. There is a spiritual aspect and then there's a physical outworking of that. The earth, trees, and grass, all right, are the physical consequence of the spiritual thing that is happening. All right? Remember what is happening in the physical is directly related to what is happening in the spiritual. And that's just a principle throughout the Bible. So if, somebody, if there is a manifestation of something physical, we have to look behind what is happening spiritually. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, we can look at particularly at the States right now and the great division that occurs between the left and the right. And you can say, you can, we can look at it at the physical, but there is a spiritual thing that is happening behind that. We can think of any aspect that is happening in the world now and look at it and marvel or fear or whatever it is. And you, you must understand that there is a spiritual thing that's happening behind that physical 
reality that is happening. So you ha always have the spiritual and you always have the physical reality that's happening. Now, for me, I believe that when it speaks about the green grass, this may have to do with wheat. And I'll tell you now why. Which is grass. You know, you know that wheat is grass. And we'll, we'll get to the reason why I have that. So my interpretation of this is that it is related to the arable land in the earth. It's related to the arable land in the earth. So when we see it, because if you read it and say, okay, geez, this is an amazing thing. What's going to happen? All of a sudden we're going to see no trees and there's going to be no grass and there's going to be all of these things are happening. It, it, it's not going to happen just like that. In fact, we are seeing it happen right now. Let me read an excerpt. excerpt. In the past 40 years, the world has lost a third. One third. What does it say up there? And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burnt up. Now, we know it's not speaking about the green grass that we know, because later on it speaks about don't harm the green grass and the trees. All right? I believe it's related to that. In the past 40 years, the world has lost a third of its arable land due to erosion and pollution, with potentially disastrous consequence. As global demand for food soars, scientists have warned. New research has calculated that nearly 33% of the world's adequate or high-quality food-producing land has been lost at a rate that far outstrips the pace of natural process to replace diminished soil. That's frightening, but that's a fact. And we might say, well, you know, that isn't the truth, but actually, it's the truth. We know it's the truth. But now, if you look at it from a physical point of view, it can cause you to think, what can we do? What can be done about it? What other things can be done about it? This was predicted. So everything that we're going to be speaking about has been predicted. The thing is that you and I are seeing it in our time. At no other time in history could they have actually interpreted this in this way. No other time. But in our time, we can. What is most important that we recognize from this <coughs> is the times we are living in. So here's a, th a thought, a thought that occurred to me. Try to stay out of the global warming debate Unless it is to indicate that the times we are living in and that what we are seeing is a direct result of man's sin. There is an impact of man. It is related to man. But the problem is, is people are trying to fix something without fixing sin. And so you will never fix it. And we can see that happening before our eyes because people who are, that can see it and proponing and warning us of what is happening, all right, are not prepared to take the responsibility to actually change the way they live in order to actually get a different outcome. Not so. The, some of the, the, the amazing proponents of, we need to do something, we need to, guess what? They're the same ones that are contributing to the problem already. So we know that this thing is a sin issue. It's not going to change. It's not going to change. And we have to see it as a sin issue. So the reason why I say this is this is, a, this is an, an opportunity for evangelism, I believe. All right? People are not going to change unless Christ changes them. The world is not going to change. People who know that or have a strong sense of global warming are still driving cars while believing that this, the car that they're driving is contributing to the global warming that they speak about. Whether global warming is happening or not is irrelevant to me. All right? The fact of the matter is it just shows you that this is a sin issue. It is not related to what we can do. It's a sin issue. It's a sin of mankind. This is, a, this is what we're seeing outworked. So we can, when people speak about that, you can say, you can say to them, I say, well, you know, there's global warming and there's all this, these things that are happening. Well, I would suggest, this is after for me. I mean, to me, I like to look at the facts and say, okay, is this a reality or not? But I think maybe the, a different approach would be to say, we know that this earth is being destroyed. That we know. And we know it is mankind induced. Yes, that we do know. 
But guess what? The issue is a sin issue. You're not going to fix it unless you fix man's sin. And the only person that can fix man's sin is Jesus. That's it. Opportunity to evangelize. So that's what I would see it as. All right? We're not to get despondent as the world does. But we are to look up and say, Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to sort this stuff out. No man is going to sort this stuff. No government, no president, no United Nations, no nothing. That every single one of them that is trying to fix it has got a finger in the pie because of greed or because of some false motivation. Very few people have actually good, good motivation. But there's some motivation there. It's a sin issue. And it'll only be resolved when Jesus returns. So that's what happens. That's the first one that we see. The first thing that we see. And I believe it's related to this. Now, somebody can say, well, I don't see. Well, I think it is. I really do. I see that we are living in times that never, we've never seen in history in terms of this type of destruction that is happening. The next thing. Second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the sh ships were destroyed. So we look at that and we say, well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, the great mountain is the spiritual thing. The effect is on the sea and the fish in the sea and those who make their living from the sea are the physical. So instead of saying, oh, well, the ships are destroyed, this comes down and then all the ships are destroyed, that's like how we normally interpret. We've got to say, no, 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 no. There's a the direct correlation between what happens in the sea and those who make their living from the sea and the ships that they use to make their living from the sea. So, here's some data for you. Overfishing has significantly reduced the population of large species of marine fish. And this I know to be the fact because I've seen it. I've seen the pictures of what they had in like the 1950s of tuna particularly. And the size of tuna in 1950 and the size of tuna now. And they are massively reduced. They're not as large as they were because of the overfishing. All right. In fact, stocks of large fish have declined by two-thirds in one century. These findings, come, these findings come from an international research team who carefully analyzed more than 200 ocean ecosystem models across the globe to assess the evolution of the world's fish biomass from 1880 to 2007. Quote from the Telegraph, The world's stocks of seafood will have collapsed by 2050. At present rate of destruction by fishing, scientists said yesterday, a four-year study of 7,800 marine species around the world's ecosystem has concluded the long-term trend is clear and predictable. And we see it here in Canada. You, there's been, and down the coast, the, the east coast, we see towns that have lost their livelihood because there isn't enough fish to draw from the sea. And it doesn't mean that there isn't any, but certainly... They have decreased. So that's what's happening. Before our very eyes, the book of Revelation and what was predicted is coming about. Now, nobody, nobody in any previous generation could ever have predicted and seen what we see now. They could never use this and actually come to what we can come to now and say, you know, actually this is happening before our very eyes. And we have the conclusive evidence because we've got, the, 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 in our modern age, the scientific evidence to actually study everything that's happening around the globe. So we know that this is happening. So you don't want to make your living from fishing in these times. All right? We are seeing the unfolding of revelation before our eyes. While many people are environmental activists, there is still not the will to reverse what is happening. Because people do not see it as a sin and a godlessness issue, which it is. So why doesn't it change? And I mean, for me, I love snorkeling. I love, to me, I, if, I, if I had a house down at the bottom of the sea, I'd love it. But I have, in the last, in my lifetime, my adult lifetime, 
watched the reduction of the reefs in terms of the fish. That you can actually see the real impact of the fish in the sea. At no other time in history. Now, I'm not fearful by that. I'm saddened by that. But the issue is a sin issue. And that's why there is no will. It's a sin issue and it's a godlessness issue. So when people come to you and they say, well, this is you, basically you say because people do not have God in their lives. They do not see sin as the issue because it is. It's the greed of mankind. That's what's put us in this position. Now, it was predicted. So we look at it and we say, okay, well, let's predict it. It's coming to pass in our time. And we can look up and say, okay, well, maybe the Lord is coming back soon. Third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch. And it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So the star Wormwood could possibly be a demonic being. It's the spiritual aspect. Nevertheless, the star is the spiritual aspect. And this effect, or the effect on the water and the people is the physical outworking of what is happening in the spiritual. And just remember again, what we do in the physical has an impact on the spiritual, and that what happens in the spiritual has an impact on the physical. So when man sins, it releases demonic activity, and the demonic activity wants to increase man's sin so that it increases its own activity. Okay, so it's like that cycle, all right? That cycle. So, with, the, with an estimated 1.1 billion people in the world lacking access to clean water, according to World Studies estimates, waterborne infections account for 80% of all infectious diseases in the world. Waterborne. So, it's not hidden from us. This is not hidden from us. We know. We're seeing it. So when we read the book of Revelation, and you read it with a fact book next to you, you say, what? This is happening in our time. You and me, brothers and sisters, are seeing the unfolding of what was predicted in Revelation. At no other time in history could they have said that. They didn't have the technology to be able to, first of all, be able to measure, which we have now. They didn't have the populations to actually do, to have the effect that we have now, all right? So we're seeing this unfolding of history right before our eyes. So these trumpets sound. This is what happens. Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet. And a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their, their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Now I believe this again is pollution. In terms of saying... A third of the light. I mean, I used to think about it as a third of the light. I thought, okay, so how's that going to be? The sun's not going to shine for a third of the day. That's how I used to interpret it. I'd say, that's quite strange. It's going to be difficult for that to happen because life would not be able to exist if the sun didn't shine for a third of the day. We know that. You know, from a, from a, a scientific point of view, if that had to happen, the, the earth would be done. Not in like one week, like in a day. So I believe it means the restriction of light. The restriction of light. Now you may not see, but that is a building in the background over there. That's actually Beijing. Alright? So let me read you something. A farmer in China tests chili and tomato seeds, which normally take about 20 days to grow into seedlings on, under artificial light, light in a laboratory. They took more than two months to sprout a green, in a greenhouse farm in Beijing's Changping district. Shows you a restriction of light because of the smog. At no other time in history could they have, comp have comprehended the physical manifestation of this scripture as we have today. At no other time in history. But we have it today. And one could argue, well, this scripture is not really global. All right. This is restricted to a city or cities. And I would have to answer that most people have migrated to massive urban areas that produce tremendous amounts of fog. 
and I haven't got the statistics with me, but they predict that ever increasingly the majority of the earth will be in mass cities in the years to come. Now here's, a, uh, here's a quote from last year in Southern California. In Southern California last year, the region violated federal smog standards for 87 consecutive days, the longest stretch of bad air in at least 20 years. So we are seeing the unfolding of revelation before our very eyes. So now, you're going to say to me, okay, so, what, so what's the point here? Well, the point is this. Every time news or anybody speaks about the stuff that we're having, like smog or whatever it may be, guess what you can tell them? Well, this is the unfolding of history. Revelation has predicted it. We are really close to the time of the end. As we've seen in some of those things that we've said, actually man cannot survive the next hundred years. And that's not, that's not just from me because we know Jesus is coming back. That's from scientists. They know that they, we are facing catastrophic things coming. Now we know from the, book, from the Bible, hallelujah, we know that this earth is not going to be destroyed before Jesus returns. So we know that, the, that Jesus Christ's return is imminent. And I mean, I've said, that, I've said this before, I don't want to get into trouble, but certainly I do not believe that our children will not see the return of the Lord. I believe that. Now I might be wrong. So I'm not predicting that, but I suspect that we haven't got that amount of time. That if man has to continue the way that he is, this earth is done in the next hundred years. Because they don't have the will to change the things that they, they try, but everything leads to something else. Everything leads to something else. All right. So here we have, so those are the first four related very much to the physical aspect of life. And now comes this great eagle. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell in the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So here we have this pause with an eagle calling which is spiritual. All right, that John hears and sees that what is to come is far worse than what has preceded. So we have all of this happening, and that's been like, okay, well, this is, this is terrible. I mean, the news reports on it, we know that it's terrible. I mean, most of us know that this stuff is terrible. When we look at it, we, our hearts cry. They should cry. Your heart should be depressed at these things in some sense. Because of the fact that it is the destruction of what God has created. Due to man's sin and his greed. That's what I believe it is about. Alright. Again for us who are living in this time. We must take comfort. As difficult as it is. In the fact that this is already written and will take place. So we know it's going to take place. But we have no fear. And if anything. This unfolding of biblical prophecy of history should challenge us to place less weight and focus on the things that are in this world and lift up our heads to the, the reign of our king and the renewal of all things. That's what it should do. So if a person reads the book of Revelation, I'm frightened to read the book of Revelation, I think it's like pretty scary that I'd say, you need to read the book of Revelation. But it's terrifying. Yes, it is terrifying. But why is it terrifying? Why, why does God have to show us these things? He shows us these things so that we will place less weight on what is here and now. And start thinking about what is to come. We are so committed to our life here and now that we actually often forget about what is actually happening. And even when the signs of the time are so clear, we ignore them. Now, hopefully today, that's just given you some sparks. So the next time you hear on, on where you see these natural disasters, natural things happening, or these things, you can start to say, oh, wait a minute, okay, I'm getting afraid now. You can say, okay, well, my life is not invested here. Okay, it doesn't mean we don't take care of what's here. 
All right? Because, I mean, there's a judgment later that says that God will pour out judgment on those who have destroyed the earth. This stuff that is happening is a direct result of man's sin and his greed. That is of absolute surety. All right? It is greed and his desire to extend himself and the sin that is in the world that has made it what it is. So, But we mustn't be focused on that. We must focus away and think, Jesus Christ is coming. And he will renew all things. And it's in his hands. We must lift up. We must not think in the here and now. We must think in the future. Should motivate us in that way. Hopefully, it will motivate us in that way. So here we come. These four have passed. And then this eagle is calling out, Okay, what's what has happened, what is coming is worse. All right, and it says there, all right, but woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other tr trumpets. Then we get to the next one. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. Now you'll just have to listen or follow in your Bible. And I saw a star, star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened that shaft of the bottomless pit. And from that shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. But only these peop those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were that what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like woman's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And they have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. And his name in the Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollyon. Now, some have tried to interpret these locusts as some of our physical military equipment. I know that this was, I know because I've read books on that. In the 70s, they came out and tried to interpret these things as physical material things of like our military equipment. But most commentators, and I myself, believe these are demonic beings and have a principality or demon overlord called destruction. That's what they have. So that's what I believe that these demons are. They're very specific types of demons. All right. And they are, they come up. So the fifth trumpet brings a demonic invasion. All right. A demonic invasion. Now, we see a reference, which I believe, to this bottomless pit in Luke. And it says this, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? When he's casting out, or trying to cast out a demon. It says, and he said, legion, for many demons had entered him, this man in this, these caves. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss which I believe is this place over here, where these demons come from. Alright? That's what I believe that this reference is to. Now think about that for a moment. Even demons do not want to be in this place. Even demons would prefer to be in pigs, even in dry places, than to be put under this overlord called destruction. And that is a frightening thing. A frightening thing. Hell is not a place where we want to be. And our message is to our message as believers 
is to rescue people from that place. But they don't know. I mean, some people have come back from the dead and they've said, we were down at that place and it's just de definitely don't want to be in that place. So here we see this, this, the, this and as I said, this is where I, I believe that that's what it's interpreting. This is the abyss. It's about demonic activity coming out. So the one thing that we see about these demons is that they cannot harm those who are sealed. And we spoke a while ago and we said in two chapters earlier, the believers are sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13 and Ephesians 4.30. All right? And then also a specific number of Jews are also sealed, 144,000. And remember I said to you, the reason why I needed to believe the Jews are needed to be sealed is because they haven't accepted Jesus as Messiah. All right? But God has kept a remnant of Jewish people aside for himself. All right? Like he did in the Old Testament, a remnant, all right, that he seals. And he seals those people because they haven't yet received Messiah as their Savior. That's what I believe. Well, that's my interpretation of, of, of these people that seal. But for the believer, the believer, all right, is sealed by the Holy Spirit. So, there is this absolute conviction that we need to have. For ourselves and for others that call themselves believers, that they are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You want to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. Because it says here, woe to the person who isn't sealed by the Holy Spirit. Because the demonic activity is coming. When that occurs, has that occurred? Well, we definitely see that the world is moving into the place that the Bible pred predicted. And it says that in the end times, people will not be lovers of God, but lovers of pleasure. They will forsake good teaching, all right, and follow after things taught by demons. So that is the prediction of the day that we are living in, I believe. So demonic activity will be rising and this is, will be ha happening. Right? And you've got to ask yourself, am I sealed by the Holy Spirit? Now, I don't want to make people afraid. But the, uh, we are to actually make our calling and election sure. We need to be committed, absolutely committed to the fact that we live our lives for Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have... Got to be committed to that. Because the consequence of not having a strong faith that evidences itself in a sinless life is dire. It's not going to be easy. You want to know. And we need to be the type of people that are not going to be politically correct. Because that political correctness is going to keep us from warning. Both the unbeliever and believers who are lukewarm and are not following in the way of the Lord. That feel like it's okay to live a life that believes in Jesus, but at the same time sins. And lives a lifestyle of sin. Judgment comes on it. Jesus says it. Judgment's coming. And it is amazing in our time. We are living in a time where, where faith in churches is strong in terms of believing something but in terms of living the life that is required for belief people are abandoning it feel it's okay as long as i believe i mean the study in the states certainly indicates that most people have a belief in god but yet there's a lifestyle that doesn't function with that belief and if that happens i mean it's I mean, Jan's been doing a Bible study on John, 1 John. And I'll tell you right now, I want to tell you right now, 1 John is probably the best foundation that you can give a person, a believer. Because it actually makes it very clear what it means to be a believer. Because people are going to come and say, I, I said I do. He's going to say, I didn't know you. You say, but I know you. But they don't know them. So we, we, we have to get a conviction about this thing more than we've had before. 
Because our lives and the lives of others are in peril in this day and in this age when I believe the activity of demonic activity is going to just increase. Not to frighten you. Motivate you. Motivate you. Now the harm inflicted is agonizingly painful. But it does not lead to death. It says the people will seek death, but they will not find death. In other words, it's going to be a, an infliction that doesn't cause people to die. I mean, I was just thinking about, and, and again, I don't want to be political, but I'm not being political here because I do not believe in assisted suicide. All right? I think it is demonic. And I, I believe that that assisted suicide is probably being pushed in because of this very thing that is going to happen. Where people will seek death, but death will elude them. It doesn't matter what you put in place. This is clear of what the scripture says. In terms of people going to be tormented, tremendously tormented, but actually not being able to die. Want to die, but not die. That's what it says. Now, what does that say to us? It gives us an opportunity as people, believers, the answer and antidote should, I believe that we are around in this place, this time, we're around here for that. Some people say we aren't. I believe we are. Will be a great opportunity for the church that is filled with power. And that's the key. A church that's filled with power. Because you do not release demons from people without spiritual power. And a church that has no power will not release people from this. But a church that is full of the Spirit's power will start to release people from the actual, this torment that is coming. But that will be the only relief. Won't come any other way. People will seek it some other way. But the only way will be the power of Jesus. So that's the opportunity. So that's the, the one, the, the fifth trumpet. Now we go to the sixth trumpet. Again, read in your Bibles. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now when it says that they are bound, that means that they are demonic angels. They're not God's angels, because God's angels are not bound. These are demonic angels that have been... These four angels have been prepared for the hour and the day the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. Some say that that's a million. I heard the number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision. And those who rode them, they were all breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And the fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads and by means of them wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, nor give them up. Worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or talk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. It's quite powerful. Okay. So we see this. Again, some people have tried to interpret this as a locust's. Had, they interpret the locals as something that was is physical, but it isn't. Uh, I believe it's a spiritual thing. I mean, even even I know I, we've heard commentators speak about um, the size of army that could be mounted, and that we have got the possibility of um, a, an army being mounted that size. But then they say it would be impossible to move troops of that size with any. It's, it would just be too difficult. Most commentators believe that these are demonic beings. 
And I believe that. And they have principalities over them. The four horse, these are four different horsemen, but four horsemen nevertheless. All right? So this is a release of another even greater number of demons. So, you know, there was demons before. Now there's going to be, this earth is going to be filled with demonic activity. So it means that up until this time, there's been a certain amount of demonic activity. And now there's going to be tremendous amount of demonic activity. All right? This demonic activity in the world will increase exponentially before the return of the Lord. Exponentially. If this doesn't motivate you as a believer to become much more hot, spiritually speaking, then nothing will. If you can read past this and just remain lukewarm, my goodness. It is terrifying. There are three plagues that will kill a third of mankind. Fire, smoke, and sulfur. At present time, I think the world population is between 6 and 7 billion. That means 2 billion people, 2 billion people will be wiped out. 2 billion. It's a massive amount. Now, here's my thoughts on it. My interpretation, I don't know, and again, it's my thought and interpretation. If this is related to an instantaneous wiping out of two million people, two billion people, two billion people, it will be a nuclear holocaust. That's, what, that's the only thing that will bring about the destruction of that. And that would some ways fit into this. It's either that or if it's not an instantaneous thing, which sometimes when we read something, we might read it as instantaneous, but it may not be an instantaneous thing. It may not be as we think, okay, all of a sudden, you know, as we've read before, some things look like, okay, it's an instantaneous thing, but it may not be an instantaneous thing. If it's not an instantaneous thing, then this is my interpretation of that these are possible, these are, and, and which is, I believe, possible because these are plagues, pretty reminiscent of what happened in Egypt. Then I would interpret it like this. Fire will equal natural disasters. That's what I would interpret the fire as. Smoke, lung-related death. And sulfur contaminated food okay so that's my that's just how i would see them now you said what's sulfur contaminated food well when i was looking up i read up a couple of things just to see what sulfur is you know that everything that is bleached in our food system is bleached by sulfuric acid which i never knew had no idea. When I read that, I said, what? You're kidding me. Yeah, everything. Most foods that are cleaned are cleaned with sulfuric acid. Even brown sugar, what happens is they clean it with sulfuric acid and then they add a little bit of molasses back into it in order to give it the color of brown sugar. So it is quite... I mean, I don't know if that's... I mean, I know that when I read that, I said, what? How on earth is this possible in our day and age that people would do this in our food system? But all of us know, and many of you who are health conscious will know, that there's certain things in our food system that are not operating because of man's desire to help human beings. It's actually man's desire to get rich. And it's related to greed and a profit margin. And so, and what's going to sell. So, that's what I think that these might be. This is might happen. It might be instantaneous. If it is instantaneous, which some people believe, it's going to be pretty hectic. I tend to believe because it's a plague, it's going to, it's going to surface more like I've said, with, with people... Natural disasters happening much more frequently. 
uh, with people having lung-related deaths more than they've ever done before, which is through smoke and smog, and that we're seeing that. The increase of lung infection is more than ever before. And then, of course, our food system, poisoned because of sulfur. So, those are the six trumpets. So, what I'm going to do now is we're going to just bow our heads and, and, and kind of where I feel like I think you've got to do business with God. Maybe in your mind's eye, you take out that thermometer. You know, I don't know, I haven't had a thermometer in my mouth since I was a kid. But you take out a thermometer and you put it in your mouth to get a bearing of your temperature. All right? Except this one, you've got to be careful of is how hot are you? Because if you're cold, that's where you need to be concerned. If your temperature is down. Just take an opportunity now, Lord. And God knows that we're weak human beings. We all are. We all we're weak. Like the disciples. They, their spirits are willing, but their flesh is weak. And God knows that. He knows that. I mean, he, Jesus commented on it. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to change and to help. And I believe that's the most important. The Holy Spirit is the most important person in helping us become hotter. Become more focused on spiritual things and the reality of what is to come rather than our life as it is now. Some of us are consumed by the things that are happening to us now. And it's not that you can't enjoy the things that are happening now. You can. God has given us life to enjoy. I believe that. And the believer should be enjoying life. Right? I believe that. But there is that sort of tipping point where the things of this life now consume us. The worries and the cares of life start to focus our attention on the here and now. So that we lose sight of the time that we're living in. And the tremendous importance of that time. And the tremendous importance of our opportunity. We have an opportunity as a church, as believers. And that's what I pray that you would be challenged by today. You'll be able to take a message to people or to yourself. If there's sin in your heart, sin in your life, I've mentioned what they are. There's only one option and that's repentance. Repentance is turning around, saying, Lord God, forgive me for this sin. And I want to walk in a different way. That's the only option. You haven't got the option to just say, I want forgiveness and Walk in the same way. That's not repentance. Repentance is making an active decision to walk in a different way. You've got to repent. Say, God, I repent. I've lived in the wrong way. And I don't want to share in the judgment on this world. That's all you have to do. But you have to live it out. You have to walk it out actively. Lord, we just want to thank you that we're safe in you, that we're sealed in your spirit, and that we're not to fear these times. That we are to look up because our redemption draws near. While we know that it will be a terrible time in the end times, it will also be the most wonderful time to be alive as a believer, knowing that we're seeing the unfolding of the expectation of the ages which we are we are privileged we are the privileged generation to be seeing Lord God the full 
prophetic gambit coming into, uh, coming into fulfillment. We don't want to be like the people that were rebuked because you said in that, the time of your coming, you, you're able to read the signs of the times in terms of when it's going to snow, when it's going to rain, but you cannot read the real signs of the times. We don't want to be that generation that misses it, Lord. I don't want to miss that. So I just have this scripture that really came to me in the worship. Um, uh, Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. And I just really feel, as we're talking about these things and the end of the age approaching, that we as believers have a mandate, and that is our witness. And I personally have been really impressed by the Lord that my witness is so important. And I just really feel like for those of us um, who are here even today, I just pray that the Holy Spirit will equip us that even as we face these issues, as we look around us and people's, um, people uh, um, tremble in fear because of what is coming upon the earth, that we would have something different, that our message would be different. Um, and I just ask Holy Spirit that you um, this morning would empower all of us, that you would equip us, that you would enable us by your Spirit to speak words that you would give us. Uh, that we would have the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be the witnesses that we're called to be. Each one of us are carrying sheaves. Each one of us are carrying seed to sow. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to give us give us the, the courage um, and the anointing and the power which you have given us by your Spirit to sow those seed so that we can see, uh, um, see a harvest of righteousness for your name's sake in this generation. And I just thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.